0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter, and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's very excellent UFC card.
2: That I got to say, would... Zane. Yeah. Dick Maynard had a point. Yeah. The, he had what... a point. Yeah. I think we do too much shitting on these cards. These mm-hmm. athletes. These athletes. Who are certainly worth the amount of money they're getting.
1: <laughs> are, okay. That's, yeah. Following what?
2: They're, okay. they're great. They deserve our respect. And I think, I almost feel like this card was, is it, is it like a pointed statement directed at us? Who clearly hold a large space in one of the UFC matchmakers' heads. I feel like this is a statement. Yeah. So you think the cards are bad? Check this shit out. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, come on. Look at this lineup.
1: It it is. It is definitely a card.
2: We got at least six people I just heard of when I started researching it, which is exciting. Everyone loves a debut, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I mean, and, you know, the UFC thinks so highly of these fighters that I am sure, I am sure just uh, four fights into his UFC career, Mm-hmm. Amir al is getting paid the kind of money that you would pay
2: a headlining mm-hmm. fighter of Absolutely. a major fight card. Yeah, this is not a this is not a budget a budget main event. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now to moderate <laughs> my spite. <laughs> i don't even think i let you finish your intro i was too excited to get that one out
1: yeah no well should we go back and cover the road to ufc events that mick apparently forgot about when he was trying to mock us for not for for being down on a weekend when uh he clearly thought
2: there was no ufc event yeah what is road to ufc exactly
1: it's tough asia or contenders i I, I know i I
2: know i was just joking that they don't do any goddamn press for it and and apparently literally don't know what's happening so yeah they
1: absolutely just filled a uh fight night card or they they just filled a fight a uh, fight card Full of low paying fighters or low pay fighters and now they're they're back to tell us that you know we need to love it or we are not supporting the athlete oh just yeah. a, amir al headlining he's got that sweet 16 and 16 deal <laughs> for a That's... contender's fight that is the kind, That is the money that he is making. That's just
2: show, show we're the ones disrespecting the athletes by shitting on these cards. Yeah. It's us. It's us. <laughs> How could we be so cruel to the athletes? That's clearly what we have a problem with. Yeah.
1: No. I. I. We have explained this many times before, and so I am going to try and be brief explaining it again. We like a lot of fighters. We like a lot of the fighters that the UFC doesn't care about.
2: Yeah, yeah, a lot of weirdos, a lot of oddballs. I mean
1: I mean, I at this point have developed a weird sort of internalized uh Stockholm syndrome enjoyment of Dantel Mays.
2: Yeah, me too. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> me too, actually. Yeah.
1: We like these people. The problem is that when you put a whole bunch of fighters that nobody cares about on the same event. You create an event nobody cares about. You create, and you do all of them a disservice. You know, you don't help uh, Ketlin Souza have a debut people care about when you put her on a card that is just full of other people that nobody's watching. Right. So. That's really what it is. It's not like, oh, I hate watching, uh, you know, Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos fight. No, I love watching that dude fight. He's yeah. fun. But if he's going to fight on this card, nobody is going to know he fought a week from now. Yes. And that's really what it comes down to. And yeah. honestly, too, I will even give the UFC credit here this week mm-hmm. because Kaikara France. Should be headlining Fight Night Card. Absolutely.
2: Yes. It's just, it's a, 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 a more complex slap in the face. Yeah. They, how long has it been since they've done a flyweight main event?
1: Uh, for them to do. Their last non title fight flyweight main
2: event was 2017. Yeah. And for them to do one after five years, six years, perhaps. Yeah. Let's say five and a half and be generous. Um, To do one which certainly does not suggest that it's an afterthought and they just needed somebody to to put put a main event and maybe they didn't want it to cost too much, which is what this feels like. uh,
1: Jack Hermanson versus Brendan Allen got canceled.
2: That's actually uh Uh, uh, – Uh-huh. Okay. Well, don't worry. We have uh, the upcoming main event, Sean Strickland versus some guy, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, uh, it's a variety – you need a certain threshold of relevance
1: mm-hmm.
2: for a card to be good. This is like, this is a, you know, like accusing us of being casuals is funny, but this is the casual part of my brain. Like I need my stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why I follow the sport because I have characters I'm invested in. I want to see how they do. I want to see how the, the sort of the world building of the divisions is shaping up. I need my lore. I need my characters. And when you put a card like this together, it's not that these are all bad fights. It's not that there are no fighters I don't care about. You know, I think, like, Jim Miller, Jared Gordon is a very well-booked fight. I like it a lot. I like Alex Casares vs. Daniel Pineda, too. Yeah, it's a very strange and somehow very compelling fight the more you look at it. It's that my impulse to immediately shit on a card like this is not because these are all bad fights. It's because it's like a... It's like a Sunday dinner spread where every dish on the table is horseradish. Yeah. I like horseradish on my roast. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? There are great horseradishes in the
1: world. Like, I... This horseradish is designer. Wow. It's really a really yeah. nice horseradish.
2: This is like I have, a real you know, wasabi, you know, like the yeah, shit that only that. grows in roadsides in Japan. You don't get it in sushi places over here. Yeah. This you, is some serious horseradish. It's
1: primo horseradish, but it is all <laughs> horseradish.
2: Yes. That's the problem is like, yeah, the, the card is mediocre, be, it, utterly mediocre because there's nothing to hang it on there's yeah. no pull there's no tent pole to hold the goddamn thing up off the ground and so it's just it, it make it makes me feel bad because i end up shitting on like jim miller yeah jim miller's awesome like i have nothing but love and respect for jim miller and i have very rarely failed to enjoy a jim miller fight other than to be disappointed when he loses like don't make me shit on jim miller Help Jim Miller put him on a card where his services will be appreciated. Yeah.
1: You know, you, and it's another thing, too. It's just like we did used to get really stacked fight night cards. They used to, Uh, yes, they used to put title fights on TV. Yeah. Obviously, that's not going to happen anymore, but like, but they used to do it. And if just saying, obviously, that's not going to happen anymore, that. Like there's no reason they
2: shouldn't be held to that standard. Well, it's because they have their deal. I mean, yeah, they've but gotta I, have title fights on the pay per views. But just give me top contender fights. Just give me or yeah. fan favorites. Like they don't even have to be top contenders if they have the cachet. And, and
1: Cara France Albazi, they could be top. This could be potentially
2: a top contenders fight. This really it's, isn't a bad main event, but it this one more than anything because of how they've handled flyweight needs an undercard to to back it up.
1: Well, and it also just, you know, they made this fight the main event because the actual main event got canceled.
2: Yeah, and that's and, no excuse for the card looking lackluster, because if losing Brendan Allen, what was it, Jack Hermanson? Yeah. If that tanks the card, it was a bad card.
1: And, and if and if Amir al is a title contender, and this is a title contender fight, then pay him more than $16,000. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like... Make the make the stakes here. Try you actually as a promoter, promote these people. Tell me that they're valuable. Tell me that they're worth something. Tell me that
2: they're, you know, they're worth something. Yeah. $16,000 or potentially $32,000 if they win.
1: Anyway, Kai Car France Amir Al Let's actually talk about that. That's
2: this. right. We're done shitting on it. It.
1: We're yeah, doing I, our I don't job have now. a big problem with this fight night card. It's just laughable to me that with so- Sean Strickland versus some dude on the horizon, that McMaynard is like, "Tell me when we were
2: wrong." Yeah. Could you please tell me which cars were bad? No, Mick, they've all been great. 2023 has been a banner year for UFC yeah. Fight Nights.
1: Loved, wa- loved having Dana White come out and shit all over Johnny Walker versus Anthony Smith right after it happened. Yeah. In the co-main event of a main event where we watched Jerzinho Rosenstreet get absolutely mopped in the most predictable yeah. one-sided booking that was the only way that fight could go
2: yeah. that you could put together. Well, that just... Uh, only the president is allowed to shit on the fights. Yeah. And only when they fail him personally. Yeah. Um. That anyway. being said... Like, you know, let's go into vacuum mode, separate ourselves from the context, both of what's happening in UFC fight bookings in general, and also, like, discard as a whole. We're going to look at the fights as individual bouts, and a yes. lot of them are good as individual bouts, and this is one of them. I like Kaikar fronts versus Amir Al-Bazi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Al-Bazi has been very impressive in the yeah, UFC so it. far.
1: He's one of those fighters where you you look at his game, you look at his fights, you're like wow, that works. Yeah, that's that's a lot of functional fighting. He right looks there. like
2: a super solid fighter, and there is the caveat that uh, because of how UFC matchmaking works now, he has actually fought like a number of fighters that I didn't think they had that many bad fighters at flyweight. Let's be fair. Yeah. Like these are not all relevant wins. Honestly, Jalga Jumagulas is like his best win by far in the mm-hmm. UFC. Um n- not Davison Figueroa was one of them, and poor Malcolm Gordon was not one of them. Or Malcolm um, Gordon. <laughs> yeah. You know, like but with this caveat, I also have to point out that just the eyeball test, you can look at Amir Albazi and then go back and watch, say, his fight with Jose Torres pre UFC and see that this man is getting better. Mm-hmm. It is not just pasting um, competition that isn't up to his level. That is part of it, but he is not like phoning it in against people that he should be crushing. His game is improving, particularly his striking. Yeah. Um, and it's not like the craziest striking game you've ever seen. That's kind of what I like about it.
1: Yeah, it's very a very basic. nuts and bolts pressure boxing game. Yeah, and he there will. There's kicks in there, but it's a yeah. lot of pushing forward, getting you backing up, getting you uncomfortable, and then dipping into the pocket with combinations where a
2: takedown could be available if yeah. if need be. A lot of one twos. Yeah, uh, he seems to like find one kick he think he's, he thinks is going to work on each opponent and kind of add that in mm-hmm. to his to his game plan, Um, but he is also a fighter. This demonstrates his his growing comfort as a striker who will seem a little less meat and potatoes the longer any of these fights goes on, who will yeah. start finding ways to change up his combinations. I think this, perhaps, I think the improved striking is a lesson he took from the Torres loss. Yeah, you'd hope. he. he yeah, I just think he was like, I have to get better at this, I hated that. Every moment I was being pressured on the feet, I was miserable, and I didn't know how to stop the pressure at all. Um, And I think the growing, like, variation in his striking, I sort of imagine that as something he may have learned from the Jumagulas fight. Because that was one where he definitely looked more comfortable. He was definitely in the driver's seat, but against someone who really just wanted to counter him, Mm -hmm. he got frustrated and started running out of ideas And started trying to, like, go Jumogulos and to give him some openings to respond to as if he wanted to be pressured, which, of course, he didn't. He just wanted a guy to make mistakes for him. Yeah. And I think in his last fight, you could really see as his combination sort of developed over the course of the fight. And he went from a guy who was double jab right hand for five minutes to a guy who was throwing tricky lead rights and was finding sneaky uppercuts to find his second and final knockdown of the bout by round three. Um, So, yeah, and of course, this is all pinned on what he had already when he fought Torres, which is a phenomenal positional grappling game. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, he has not been uh, instantly finishing everyone he takes to the ground. Um, Although, to be fair, Malcolm Gordon and not Davison were two quick submission victims. When he was in there against uh Costa, am I getting the guy's name wrong? Uh
1: Alessandro, Alessandro Costa. Costa. Yeah. Alessandro Costa.
2: When he was in there against Costa, um who um very weirdly for a flyweight decided to hold on to full card for an entire <laughs> round. Again, another just sort of weird feeling about this flyweight run. And, as Phil said to me, it doesn't necessarily feel like flyweights fighting this whole time. Yeah,
1: he's kind of taking guys who would be bantamweights except that they're not big enough. They're not bantamweights either. Yeah.
2: So yeah. There's a little they're all kind of weird fights, but I really liked how he dealt with the positional grappling in that fight. That he even when he was just in guard, I loved his patient Ground and pound, it was very much like the ground and pound approach um, Charles Jordan took to Cron Gracie. Keeping the arms inside, patient, but when openings were there, he was pouring in straight, accurate strikes from posture. um, Hitting the body from top position, something I think far too few fighters even think to do. Um, Raining down elbows, and when given an opening, passing Taking dominant positions and just being impossible to remove once he gets them, mm-hmm. and this this is all uh, advanced by the fact that he appears to be a really good shot wrestler as well.
1: Yeah, he's a very like I say, I, I watch I watch him fight and I'm just like, oh yeah, this works. You know, you, you've yeah. learned to do a bunch of things that are very good, solid. Uh, you shoot, you have you have a good shot. You wrestle well, you get to good positions well, you throw good combinations moving forward, there's a lot of good pressure and aggression here. It's just a it, it's a solid
2: functional MMA game yeah. on a lot of levels. Yeah. Uh yeah, good timing, great commitment, drive on his shots. Um and uh, yeah, that I mean, it is that aspect of the game more than anything that makes him an interesting test for Kai Car Fronts. Mm-hmm. Who I think has undoubtedly improved his defensive wrestling in the last few years.
1: Yeah, I um, think so after that fight he had against Askar Askarov.
2: Right, it held up against Askarov. Uh, it held up, I can't actually recall if Moreno even shot on him, but it certainly held up against Askarov. I mean, he still wound up in some trouble, but I think it was the kind of trouble that would have seen a prior version of Cara France collapse.
1: Cara France hit the only takedown of that fight against Moreno.
2: There you go. Um, and has also improved his ability to push a pace, uh-huh. which is not something he really ever seemed to do before. Was completely tied to the idea of counterfighting, and sometimes got overwhelmed even when he got the fight he asked for, as against Brandon Royval. Um, so yeah, I, I this is still a fight to me, and perhaps because of all of the sort of asterisks attached to these wins, Al-Bazi has been getting where I feel like I have to pick Cara France.
1: Yeah, you, there's one big question that I have Go for it. please. So the big question I really have is what if Amir Albazi gets pressured again?
2: Yeah, exactly, right?
1: Because that's what we haven't seen happen to him since that fight against Torres, against Jose Torres. Is he hasn't fought anybody who could functionally stick with him, and push him back. 100%. And Kai Car France can do that.
2: Doesn't like to do it best, but he has proven that he can, at least in bursts.
1: Yeah. And that, yeah, that's that to me is the question. Because, yeah, if Abazi gets to pressure forward and have this fight all his own way, then I see it as more of a... I mean, maybe not fifty-fifty. It might be just his, you know, his fight because being on the front foot, pressing forward, uh, assuming he doesn't get knocked out by Car Car
2: Francis is also the best counter he's faced. So yeah, this but, could be the ceiling for his his favorite style as well. Possibly. Yeah,
1: it, I, I I might favor Al-Bazi on the front foot, but I wouldn't necessarily just assume that it's going to be an easy fight for him. Certainly not. He gets not. pressed forward. But if Cara France gets press forward, then from what I've seen of Albazi on his back foot, I have to take Cara France. Yeah. Because the last time he got put on his back foot, his whole game just dissolved. You know? Yeah. And Cara France is harder than ever to wrestle at this point in his career. So I'm not just going to depend on Albazi getting takedowns and keeping position. And the other big thing to worry about with Cara France is that if he gets caught, if he decides that he is struggling with the punching, with the boxing, he can throw himself into positions where he can get submitted. Yeah. Even even from top position. Kara France is not a comfortable or confident grappler. He is an aggressive striker when he's on top. Oh, yeah. But it's the kind of aggression where he can walk himself right into mistakes. Yeah. So that that's really the question is, do I trust Albazi's grappling enough to be dangerous to the point that if Carra France makes a mistake, either defensively wrestling or offensively, wrestling mm-hmm.
2: that he gets himself tapped yeah and i think that albazi's compared to someone like askarov i think albazi's takedowns are harder to stop but simpler to stop if that makes sense so there's a bit of a trade-off there like i think he's a better shooter mm-hmm. than askarov a better athlete yeah and and also yeah he just has great form on his double yep. leg on his double leg shot yep um but uh, get the chain Exactly. Like, Askarov, does, Askarov is very much a fighter who does not need a clean takedown at all. I don't think he got a clean takedown in that first round when he backpacked Car France yeah. uh, and nearly choked him out. I think he he will just kind of sneak his way into positions. He's a little more of your jiu-jitsu wrestler in that way. Uh-huh. al really does seem to need his shots in most positions. He's not like a back-take wizard, per se. He's not a crazy, scrambly grappler most of the time he wants to get to a strong position and methodically advance with the takedown. as The starting point. Um, And yeah, I, I, I just want to reiterate that. Like, I I think, I think I've seen progression. I also think Alessandro Costa um, and certainly Francisco Figueiredo were just much simpler problems to solve. than Jaga Jumagulov.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you can look at everybody, everybody he's fought here even Jumagulov, but particularly Gordon, Figueredo, and Costa. Yeah. And they are all problems that pressure alone would solve. Like, yeah. Pressure and consistency are going to beat all of those fighters.
2: Yeah. And the and the reason I bring up Jumagulov in particular is stylistically, he's the closest to the base form of Car France, mm-hmm. which is a very patient counterpunch oriented fighter. I think we've seen progression since that fight, but it's difficult to say how strident those tests have been, and I cannot ignore the fact that Jumagulov, with a super patient game, I I like nominally the kind of striking game Albazi should like to face, somebody who lets him take the lead, frustrated Albazi, and with Albazi having the say over the pace for much of the fight, even managed to tire him out by the end of a three rounder. And this is a Uh, five round. This is a five rounder. And so even if car France doesn't pressure in anything more than a few bursts, which I think he will, I think he's learning that pushing the pace is an important thing. And like just (laughs) controlling the pace, being in charge of the pace is a very important thing for him.
1: Yeah. I think, I I think he came out honestly, you know, he tried pretty, to pretty good effect early on to, to
2: really put, uh, Moreno on the back foot. Oh, I think he was actually like, I just rewatched it. I think he was kind of whooping Moreno. Like he wasn't crushing him, but yeah, I, I didn't think Moreno was looking too hot in that fight.
1: The um, big thing for car the big problem for him, that is not a problem that Al is going to face. And this is right. one of the reasons that I'm picking car France is that uh, car France has never really had, and still doesn't have much of a range game. Right. He doesn't kick a lot. Most of his boxing combinations and his counter combinations are short hooks in the pocket. Yeah. And so somebody like Moreno could just, at a baseline level, he offers a lot of problems for Cara France all the time. Yeah. But Albazi doesn't have that fight. His ideal fight is... Creating the, po- creating the pocket on his terms, being close in on his terms, pushing you backwards. Yeah, but it's still very much a pocket kickboxing game. Right. So, I yeah that that's a big thing that has me feeling like this is this is a test. Car France can handle.
2: He is probably going to try to low kick Kai. Yeah, well he did that to he's, yeah. he's probably going to try to calf kick the hell out of him. So Car France will have to deal with that. Uh, yeah but but yeah i just I just feel like Car france is uh unquestionably the more proven fighter, and I think stylistically uh again like he looks like he might be sort of the ceiling for albazi's style of striking that's a possibility. I also have more faith in him to actually push a pace and certainly more faith in him at this point to maintain uh over a five round fight yeah i haven't seen albazi do that.
1: All this said, if Al-Bazi gets a takedown and like submits Cara France in a yeah, triangle, yeah, yeah. or if Cara France gets a takedown and gets submitted by a triangle <laughs> from guard. Yes. Or if al just gets to put Cara France on the back foot and kicks the hell out of him, none of those things are going to shock. No. You know, just like it won't shock me if, Car France goes out there and hurts Albazi really badly and puts him on the back foot all fight with pressure or even takes him down and lands some hard ground and pound and actually just kind of takes him out of the fight in those ways sometimes. Like Jose Torres, yeah, he, he bullied
2: Albazi. When Albazi was on the back foot, his wrestling game was not a threat. 100%. I think Torres actually reversed a panicked takedown off the back foot at one point and banked some significant top time. Again, I don't yeah. know if that's the great the greatest strategic decision for Cara France, to engage in that kind of fight, but no. um, yeah, I, he's just the more proven fighter to me at this point.
1: Yeah, and over five rounds, like we say, if I'm just right. assuming neither guy gets knocked out or finished, then I think that that is kinder to Cara France and the prep that he's been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Odds on the bout, dead even. Wow. Opened at minus 118, currently at minus 105. And uh, for Albazi, opened at minus 118, currently minus 105. Carl France opened at plus 107, currently minus 105 as well. So, dead even line there. I get it. Carl France is more proven, but he's also proven that he can lose a lot of fights.
2: Yeah. He is you know, chronically inconsistent. He's finishable.
1: Yep. And uh, you know, Albazi would probably be wise to take a page, if he can, out of somebody like Brandon Royville's book,
2: and just yeah, I'm, I've never seen that kind of pace. I mean, that was a truly insane fight from Brandon yeah. Royville, but one it, in which he, like, if Albazi tries that, I'm not sure he's getting up yeah. that first knockdown that which was Cara Francis to deliver.
1: It's true. It's true. But it is the kind of thing where I think more like, you know, you can really open up a lot of the mistakes in Cara France's game when you put him under serious pressure.
2: Yeah, but yeah, you you have to walk through a wood chipper to do it. It's
1: true. All right. That brings us to a featherweight fight. Alex Caceres, Daniel Pineda. And this is a very strange fight, as you kind of noted in that, in Alex Cesaris, as we well know, you have a fighter who will accept whatever fight is brought to him. He is, and always will be, formless beyond reason. Yeah. It is one of those things where, because you, you watch him and you'll see him in these fights, and he will have great success mm-hmm. with Any number of things. Usually not wrestling. He's never really been. Even that sometimes.
2: Even that sometimes. Sometimes he's like a body lock takedown machine. Yeah, Yeah. Every once in a while.
1: But he can absolutely just out grapple people like a wizard on the mat sometimes. He can look like he is pure flow in his striking and just absolutely clowning someone. But if that person that he's clowning with striking is just like, Hey, let's have a grappling match instead. He will just let himself get tangled up in a grappling match. Or if that person that he's grappling with is just like, Hey, let's strike instead. He will just settle for a striking match. Yeah. And he will, you know, he will just have an ugly repeat, like have the same exchange over and over kind of fight with somebody even if that's all they want, you know, it it says something that like he's Cron Gracie's, he's Cron Gracie's only UFC win, right? Or did Gracie actually beat somebody else too? He might. Yeah. He's Cron Gracie's only UFC win. And, you know, he he didn't,
2: he didn't need to be. (laughs) Right. Um, Why grapple with Cronk (laughs) Gracie? Why even do it? Especially since, 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 yeah, like when Caceres is, you know, somebody invites him to box, he could be quite good at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he just can't stop himself. The problem with Daniel
1: Pineda here for Daniel Pineda is there's not actually really any fight he wants to have. I mean, the man is born. He's a born killer. But it's totally a selectionless one. You know, he has tools he loves. He has things that he loves to do, Mm -hmm. but you, it, it will be on whatever terms come. And it's not even, it's not even the same like Caceres thing where he'll have whatever fight his opponent wants. It's just, there's no action plan. There are no repeated decisions That are ever made by Daniel
2: Pineda. Yeah.
1: You know, it'll be like, Oh, three incredibly hard. Low kicks worked beautifully. What if I take you down and go for a stand, like go for a power Kimura?
2: Yeah. Cause 'cause there is is formless with the uh, theme of being chill. Yeah. Seeing what happens. And Pineda is formless with the theme of being intense. (laughs) Yeah. The intensity is what matters, which is why I violent
1: to you in all sorts of ways. Right. And it's very much like pulling a slot machine lever to know which one's going to come up each time.
2: Right. Which is why I think he has the incredible distinction of having only ever won by finish. Yeah. There are a lot of fights early on his topology record that just say win. But basically everyone since 2011 his wins are all finishes.
1: If you look at his wiki, those those early fights on topology are also finishes. Yeah. He has and, never and, won a decision ever.
2: And this also comes with the fact that, so let's see, now going back to well, there's some decisions in there. A lot of his losses is the point are also yeah. finishes. Yeah.
1: He's killer he is the definition of killer be killed. Yeah. And um I mean, he could,
2: he could absolutely finish Caceres. It's, I'm going to pick him to do it, but I sense that you're not.
1: <laughs> yeah. The thing is that in this kind of fight that I think that Daniel Pineda and Alex Caceres will both have, which is going to be a very formless... It'll be Daniel Pineda marching Caceres down and looking to throw huge power... And Caceres slipping around and doing goofy stuff. And then maybe they'll take, one of them will get a takedown and try to do something violent immediately. In that kind of fight, Daniel Pineda's striking is very, very pick apartable. And you do not have to be a. I think it, if you have a little motion and fluidity to your game, I don't think you have to be a way better striker than Pineda to just start absolutely yeah. killing him on, on the feet. If he, he overthrows so badly with everything that somebody who is at all interested in like angles and movement a little bit finds him way out of position all the time. Yeah. Which is why you know, this is somebody who can... Go out and slug it out with uh, Tucker Lutz or blow through Herbert Burns or whatever, but get absolutely clowned by Cubs Swanson and Andre Feely.
2: Yeah, and
1: it's just you know the the dividing line for what works for him in, in striking is really I don't think it's it's not so much the overall quality of the striker or the fighter. As it is just like, do you move around? Because then Pineda is going to struggle. And I think that that is actually going to work pretty well for Caceres here.
2: Yeah, I can see that argument. Um, I think think the question of, is Alex Caceres going to win like Andre Feely did, given that those guys have similar frames and, you know, when they're both on somewhat similar striking games? Somewhat. I think that's a bigger question for me. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, Andre Feely is the chillest one of the alpha males, you know? He's the most, all of the rest of the alpha male team are a certain kind of Cal. They're Muscle Beach California bros. Uh Andre Feely is like the California bro you think of, though. He's like, he's laid back, he's eating pizza on the beach. Um, you know, I've been very high on Andre Fili's improvements, uh, his growing discipline, and everything over the last few years. Basically, what Andre Fili has been going through is a process of becoming less like Alex Caceres in the cage. Yeah. He used to be a very, very formless fighter, and you don't see that very often anymore. You have to beat Andre Fili to beat him. You know, he mm-hmm. is not going to sort of lose sight of what he's doing in the cage. And if he had. A fight with a guy like Daniel Pineda is, I think, extremely dangerous.
1: Oh, it's always dangerous, Pineda.
2: Yeah, if you're you're both gonna you know go out there and, and make strategic mistakes and not exactly like think of the fight as a whole until something occurs to you, I think you have to give a pretty strong opening advantage to the guy whose theme is being intense. Like I said,
1: yeah, no, you're not wrong. I just, I feel like Pineda, he can get he. The strength of that start is uh, when faced with somebody who can move like Caceres, it, the, the drop-off is steep.
2: You know? it, yeah, it can be. I, I, I mean, he, he did have a comeback win against Tucker Lutz, which was, I think, maybe the first I've ever seen from Daniel Panetta. I don't know if that's indicative of anything other than Tucker Lutz himself uh, being a bit of a choke artist, perhaps. I, I think,
1: uh, well, like I say, I think it's also just like Tucker Lutz is such a blitzing in and out,
2: yeah, 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 kind he, of fighter, like yeah, a, a stocky guy who just sort of let Pineda have that kind of formless fight with him.
1: Well, and it, you know, it, 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 it's not trying to move around him and outmaneuver right. him. Tucker Lutz right. is a better striker, perhaps than you know some of these some other fighters that have beat. Uh, to beat Pineda, but if you're gonna just like move in and out on straight lines and try to yes. bulldoze uh, Pineda, then you really, you really are setting yourself up for his yeah. violence.
2: No, no one much was thinking of the the concept of generalship in that fight. Yeah. Um,
1: and but it's true, Caceres can fall out of it, but he also does tend to default
2: to that. Yeah, he yeah. also sometimes never gets into it, is it's my true. concern. It's true. Uh, a lot of the dudes who have beaten Alex Caceres throughout the years are super intense, fast-starting power punchers. Yeah. There's uh, e- even the one he didn't lose to Sung Woo Choi. He should have lost that fight, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like, he completely lucked out. Credit to him, you know? the luck is luck is there for those who are prepared to find it, right like I'm not taking anything away from him, but getting a miracle back take comeback instant submission is a partly because Sung Wu Choi himself is such a fast starter that he completely collapses. that could happen to Paneda, yeah, but he was getting crushed up to that point he was, no, he was absolutely crushed uh way back in the day um Francisco Rivera, yep, Yep. Yeah just flattened Caceres instantaneously. Guan Wang came out and just crushed him from the opening bell. You look at all the guys that he's on a really impressive streak of good performance of, of good results here. But a lot of these dudes are intensity and, and aggression and power are not the things that come to mind with Chase Hooper. Well, yeah, Kevin Kroon. Crew and
1: Peterson are intense; they're just not powerful.
2: They're not powerful. They're not dangerous. Yeah, um, and, and, and they're also they're also even worse than Pineda as far as like technique and overthrowing. Like Peterson is a goddamn mess.
1: It is worth noting, though, that he's also you know because this is also a person who like you talked about him getting crushed from the opening with against Wang Guan, but yeah. he battled that back to split. It was a split loss. Yeah, and Yair Rodriguez. You know, he was able to just sort of have a very wildly, clo- weirdly close.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I know? think my, my pick here is entirely dependent on the idea that Pineda is going to try to go the hell after Yeah. Caceres. He's going to try to put him against the fence before he knows what the hell he's doing and crack him. And probably he, he also. Will,
1: absolutely, I'm, I'm just picking him to, to survive that and bounce yeah. back for the victory.
2: Yeah, that's why this is an interesting yeah. fight. Both of those things, I think, could very well happen. Um, I mean, Pineda was also having massive success against Cub Swanson. Like he's he's probably yeah. also going to kick the shit out of Caceres' legs. Yeah. Um, I, I'm picking
1: a re- a repeat of the Cub Swanson fight, essentially.
2: Sure. Yeah, I could see it. A, or a, a, the Cub Swanson round one, and then Andre Feely round two, without with, hopefully without the eye poke.
1: Yeah. Caceres opened at minus 166 is currently minus 176. Pineda opened at my plus 148 currently at plus 157. So those lines not moving a lot off of the Caceres, a slight favorite general line. Mm -hmm. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout, Jim Miller, Jared Gordon, and, uh, Yeah, another decent fight where this one, this is the interesting aspect to this fight for me is that certainly at some point, Jim Miller was a more dangerous, tougher fighter than Jared Gordon will ever be. Yeah. I don't know if that is true anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I also would say that at some point, Jim Miller was unquestionably a more technical fighter than Jared Gordon. Yeah, Gordon's at some point oh. Gordon Gordon used to be pretty much just a swarmer, a mess. Yeah, swarmer.
1: but I would say that Gordon is like I I think Gordon has put together a more nuanced boxing game than Jim Miller. ever.
2: Yeah, met. that's what I'm saying that now yeah. he has. Yeah. yeah, at some point. Um, And that is my concern for Jim Miller here as well, is that firstly, we saw Jared Gordon developing a more nuanced pressure boxing game lately. I think we've been seeing Jared Gordon actually kind of just turning into a better boxer.
1: Yeah, that fight against Bobby Green. That was
2: he looked great. That was great. Yeah. He got hit with a brutal clash of heads and knocked out Um, Mm -hmm. up to that point. You know, it's not it's not a huge sample size. We know Bobby Green gets better as fights go on, almost invariably, but still a very strong, disciplined start from Jared Gordon. Um, one where he showed off something I never thought Jared Gordon had until until recently, defense. Defense encounters. He was uh-huh. rolling under Bobby Green's shots and coming back with that left hook they couldn't stop hitting Patty Pimblett with until he decided to stop hitting him with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was honestly as much as it was very clearly a win, I came away from that Patty Pimblett fight being like, oh, uh, I feel like Jared Gordon could have... I mean, maybe that was probably one where he probably should have pressured the hell out of Patty Pimblett. Yeah. Right?
1: He, he really seemed to let the mystique of Patty Pimblett confidence Absolutely. get to him.
2: It got to him. I think the size got to him as well. Pimblett yeah. is, for all of his other qualities, uh, a big and reasonably athletic fighter.
1: Mm -hmm. I think people,
2: it's weird because he's only 5'10", Patty, but
1: there is a reason that when he's not fighting, he's he's an incredibly fat fuck. Yeah. He has a big frame. He actually has a pretty big frame.
2: And also, he's got to be taller than 5'10", or Jared Gordon has to be shorter than 5'9". Yeah, it,
1: really it was more than look, an inch it, of height difference between it. Them. It did look like part of that might just be how straight up t- Patty always.
2: Could, <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. He's he's uh, he's 5'10", but he's six foot three when he's fighting. If you measure from the top of the chin down to the heels. Yeah. Um, yeah, that could be part of it, too.
1: But it, certainly, if I'm if I look up pictures of them facing off, yeah, it looks more much much more like five nine versus five eleven or six foot.
2: Yeah, it looks like a, a couple of inches at least between. Yeah. Them. So I don't know. If I had to guess, I'd say it's maybe it's it's probably more likely Jared Gordon is not copping to being five seven or yeah. something like that. Because uh, Patty Pimblett, God knows, would would claim six feet if he was five eleven. It's true. That's um. True. so yeah but it got to him I mean I think it was the size I, and I think you're right it was the bravado like you know this is uh, this is how fighters uh, think a lot of the times like somebody comes in they're larger than life like that that kind of mental game matters and I think Jared Gordon was pretty clearly a bit overawed by his opponent which is yeah. funny considering how easily he was beating him when he was just sticking to uh, this game he's been developing yeah, I, mean, I thought against seen... Bobby Green, it looked like an, a next level of comfort with that exact same kind yeah. of idea of how he could box. So
1: there's a problem there.
2: Yeah, go on.
1: Jared Gordon got brutally knocked way the hell out. Yeah, one month ago.
2: Ooh, what happened? Bobby Green. Oh, oh, oh! That was only a month ago. That was only a month ago. Jesus, yeah. Another—that's another problem with the way they're booking these goddamn fights. Yeah, lately. they're just throwing this shit together last minute.
1: Yeah, you got brutally knocked out, like out, 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 out cold. Out. Yeah. So it was only a month ago. Yeah, April twenty-second.
2: Yeah, that is concerning. So he is. How did he even clear a medical? Well, he probably had
1: a thirty-day uh, suspension. You're not supposed to be training, I don't think, during
2: your suspension. You're not.
1: You're yeah. not. But if they, if you can get a doctor to clear you, oh you know, God, who's going to actually go and check?
2: Yeah, Jesus.
1: So, yeah, it is one of those things where you you do have to wonder. It's like, oh, you looked great in that last fight, but Jim Miller, like like I was saying earlier. He has been at some point in his career more dangerous and tougher than Gordon will ever be. He's still tough as shit. is still that Hernandez fight
2: was, was not fun. And He's he been was... knocked
1: out twice in his career by a head kick from Donald Cerrone and a flying or, and a knee from Dan Hooker. Yeah, a and
2: career, that is it. A career of what is it? Of. Fifty-two
1: fights, fifty-three fights,
2: fifty-three
1: fights. Yeah. So fifty-three
2: action fights.
1: It is really concerning that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jared Gordon. He is, I think, at this point, a better technical fighter. Yeah, and than Jim Miller, but Jim Miller can still
2: club a dude yeah okay you know this fight shouldn't be happening i mean especially because like this is a short notice replacement for gordon anyway isn't it like yeah wasn't wasn't it supposed to be jim miller versus um ludovic klein yeah so gordon
1: jumped back in and convinced DOC to i'm sure it took
2: some heavy persuading yeah i know look guys i know you're concerned about my health but when when can you fight yeah um yeah, well, I've already picked Jared Gordon on heavy hands because I did not realize how recent that knockout loss was. That is concerning. Yeah. Um, I would pick him in a vacuum based on the styles and the age of Jim Miller. I think Gordon has shown that he can go out there and the 'cause the problem with Jim Miller, like sort of in line with a guy like Caseras, is he is a he's a very tactically sharp fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes him like a good counter puncher and a great opportunistic finisher. But you can't give Jim Miller like a strategic idea of how to approach an opponent that he is capable of sticking to for more than one round or a couple minutes at a time.
1: Yeah, I've I've always the way I've always thought of that is that Jim Miller is he's a great MMA puncher or MMA kickboxer yeah which means that he is at his absolute best when he is and his opponent are standing about two and a half feet away from each other, and they are both trading exchanges planted firmly in place where you know it's like they're doing the take turns, oh, you threw that, I'm gonna counter with this. Oh, I'll lead with that. you counter with this, that kind of punching. Jim Miller is a really, really good functional kickboxer in that scope. Absolutely. But when he has to pressure or when he's on the back foot all the time, yes. when he basically is held to one one style where he has to be either going forward all the time or going backward all the time, his striking falls way apart.
2: Yeah. He, he devolves into a lot of turn-taking and, and he, he throwing is, one strike all at apart. a time. Yeah. Yeah, his footwork collapses. Um, yeah, so I'm going to pick Jared Gordon uh, basically pretending that this fight should have been booked. It clearly should not have. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's a concern. And like, it's not like Jim Miller, he, He's people still think of him as a submission artist, but like you saw that Mata fight. It's not yeah. like he can't go out there and clean somebody's clock because as you said, he is very sharp shot for shot um, until he is like game planned out of the fight.
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, there's no reason to think Miller can't just go out there, hit and a almost, big overhand, and just knock yeah. Gordon out cold.
2: And given that concern, I almost worry that Gordon has developed this style, because I feel like his old style would have game-planned Jim Miller out of the fight. Yeah. Get in his face, overwhelm around. him, break him. Um, yeah. Uh, going out there and, and, and trying to feel your way into a like a what starts as a 50-50 kickboxing match doesn't seem like the greatest idea um now that I'm like concerned for his brain.
1: Yeah. This, so That was Gordon's third knockout too. Yeah. It does Ross. happen to yeah. him. Oh you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take Jim Miller. I'm gonna hedge against Gordon here. I don't, I don't like it at all, but I think this is a fight in a vacuum that I would pick Gordon to win, but I'm just a little too worried about him getting finished. So I guess I'll take Jim Miller. Yeah. I don't like it though. Yeah. Yeah. Miller is the underdog, opened at plus 149, currently at plus 157. I hate doing that kind of X-factor math, too. I always I always rail against I it. I know.
2: That's why we usually default to just being like, let's pretend the fighters.
1: Yeah, let's pretend are, all is good. Right. And pick based on what we assume they're capable of if everything is going well.
2: Yeah, which is probably why we're not the greatest at picking fights, but like. Yeah. So to me the analyzing the styles is far more interesting than trying to uh juggle like whose weight cut was worse, whose divorce yeah, yeah. whose divorce is more troubling. Like Oh god, yeah. Right. So this is why, by the way, our producer is really good at picking fights. She's mm-hmm. you know, a people person. <laughs>
1: Gordon so, opened at minus minus one ninety two, is currently a minus one seventy six. So solid favorite odds on Gordon. All right. Now speaking of which, Tim Elliott, Victor Altamirano, did Yay! you see? Did you see that that tweet I I sent out about researching Tim Elliott's fights last night? No, what was it? Right, I'll find my Twitter and go on. Read be the it. guy.
2: Be the guy who reads his own tweets on the reads broadcast. his own
1: tweets. No, I have to though. You're gonna hate this,
2: and I oh, hated no. it.
1: So here I was watching Tim Elliott against uh, not against mm-hmm. Matthews Nikolau.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: John Anik. There's no overstating all that Gina Mazzani has meant to his corner as well. I mean, James Krause gets the lion's share of the credit and deserves a lot of it, but Gina has been a stabilizing force.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, No. Well, let's ignore the X factor math. I'm sure everything's fine there. I'm not even going to think about it. I don't think anything's going on with Tim Elliott and Gina Mazzani, is there? Yeah, no. Right. You have some news for me? Wait, did you? Have you not heard? No, of course I've heard. Okay. Yeah. 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 For the listeners who haven't, Tim Elliott himself went on Twitter and did the. uh, My
1: wife's been cheating on me since my wedding day. Yeah. Yeah.
2: With Kevin fucking Kroom. With Kevin Kroom.
1: Yeah. (sighs) That's rough.
2: Did you, like me, start thinking of a bunch of chrome related puns when you heard that news? <laughs> I said, I'm going to read my tweet out of memory because I love my own jokes so goddamn much. I said, I wonder how many times Gina Mazzani has heard the phrase, here comes the Kroon. <laughs> which I think is a pun you could interpret in several different ways. all of them disappointing and upsetting.
1: Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's terrible and it made you snort. It's <laughs> Reading your own joke back. Made I didn't even s- read that shit. I told you yeah. I, I remembered it verbatim. Okay. Okay. So we've got this flyweight fight, Tim Elliott, Victor Altamirano. And this is like, this is one of those things where X factors aside, this is a Tim Elliott fight to win like Victor Altamorano
2: is he's a guy
1: he's getting a break. He's gotten a break in a couple of UFC fights so far Yeah, because he's tough as shit. Yes. And he is in reasonably good shape. So if you just come to him and with a scrap and you have a scrap, Victor Altamirano is going to be there the whole time in a way that, Daniel Lacerda and Vinicius Salvador are not capable of. Yes. Because Vinicius Salvador, Salvador was lighting him up for a round.
2: Yeah. And Vinicius Salvador is not even good. Yeah. he's He is himself a complete mess of a fighter.
1: Yeah. They, you know, and, and so these, it's just one of those things of like, you bring any more technique and consistency to a fight with with uh, Victor Altamirano? Yeah, you're gonna find him over swinging on strikes all the time. There's not a lot of power
2: to his striking game. It no, gets his defense really... is horribly horrible position wise. Like he, he boxes like
1: uh, Keith Jardine with like one foot in a cast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, Keith but also like Keith, who thinks he's James Tony, like
1: which is that's what I mean
2: by the foot in the cast is yeah, like you know like, like ducking but, and looking at the floor and like yeah,
1: there's all this like feet planted, shoulder rolling, like upper upper body movement with a yeah. hitch with a serious hitch in it all the time. Yeah,
2: it's almost like he almost has like a really bad version of like Tim Elliott's own like bizarre. Yeah. Uh, aggro Dominic Cruz style of movement. It's like one of those Zelda games. If you fight like Dark Link or Shadow Link, but he just Mm -hmm. sucked. Like (laughs) it was like the easiest enemy in the whole game. He just couldn't stop you from hitting him. Like you look just like me, but you're trash. Yeah, Mar- um, Altamirano is—he's tough and he's scrappy, and he really has very little else. Honestly, and he will
1: if you—if you can't wrestle and grapple that well, yeah, mm-hmm. he will take over in that position. That's where everything, like he gets his hands on somebody, and everything just sort of settles down and collapses into a top half game that is functional and mm-hmm.
2: still not very dangerous. Yeah, but he but... has definitely benefited from all of the. Weirdo non flyweights, the UFC has spent the last yeah. year signing like, well, like do, Amir Al What they do,
1: what they did for heavyweight and light heavyweight, and what they should just do for these weirdo divisions, which is just sign everybody and see who no, shakes don't. out.
2: You know what? Stop saying that, Zank, because okay, they're okay. listening to your advice and look what it's gotten us.
1: Look, if 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 I get more a bunch of crap, if they could just put the heavyweights and the light heavyweights in like a not even in dark bouts, but in like a dark room and just like (laughs) open the door 15 minutes later and whoever walks out,
2: there's your new guy. Whichever heavyweight has successfully eaten all of the other heavyweights.
1: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I gotta pick Elliot here. Uh, I mean, uh, the unfortunate part of this is I just talked about Altamirano's toughness and cardio and Elliot old Elliot Pre James Krauss, Gina Mazzani, Elliot, yeah, was always on the path to his own. Oh my god, that
2: didn't even occur to me before what you said from the commentary. The James Krauss is a major factor, but Gina yes. Mazzani is a stabilizing force. They're yes. both gone. Oh my, yeah, didn't even fully absorb that. And Elliot has looked really good lately.
1: Because they got him to calm the hell down.
2: Yeah, it's true.
1: And to just fight oh within God. himself, because this is a dude who was always the path to his own destruction. He was always burning his whole tank in five minutes, and then fighting on fumes all the rest of the way.
2: Yeah, so, God, divorced energy, Tim Elliott. Yeah, Cuckolded Tim Elliott. I'm not sure that's. I'm not sure that's good for him.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna pick Tim Elliott because yeah. he really should just be able to fall into scrambles
2: with Altamirano and win them. Yeah. But this uh, this looks so much like a levels fight. It really like he should be able to win accidentally. I'm sorry, but being being tough to act, to like get out of there should not be enough no. to just sort of cheat your way to a victory. But after even if Tim Elliott completely exhausts himself, like he still
1: you fight while fighting absolutely. Himself. Absolutely. in the
2: past with that hanging yeah. over him. Absolutely. Maybe the problem with Tim Elliott 4 is that he was not uncommon enough also. yeah, maybe the, What he really needed was a new level of anger and resentment, which like, very clearly he has reached.
1: Like Mackenzie Dern, apparently. Yeah, yeah exactly. Divorced Mackenzie. He channeled the same <laughs> divorce Mackenzie. that Mackenzie Dern brought to the cage.
2: Did she get divorced? Yeah. Oh, that's why she was so pissed. Mm-hmm. Wow, I mean, yeah. See, like you would not never look at Mackenzie Dern and be like, "Um, she's too calm." No. And yet, she was really pissed. It yeah. Came through in that performance, and it worked for her.
1: Yeah, she's in the middle of like a wicked custody battle, which means that both yeah. she and her ex are accusing each other of wow. being users. Wow. Great. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's Tim Elliott, who just refuses to lose, who just pictures. Kevin Kroon's utterly nondescript face on top of Victor Morano. <laughs> Altamirano's equally nondescript yeah. face. That could be the uh, the recipe. Yeah, I I would pick him even if I thought it was a completely unimproved Tim Elliott, an undisciplined Tim Elliott. This is a levels matchup to me. Yeah. I would never pick Altamirano to beat Elliott, so I am not doing it now.
1: It'll be kind of sad if it does, if he does. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Elliott opened at minus 147, currently minus 175, got down as low at one point as uh minus 186. And then Altamirano opened at plus 132 and is currently at plus 155. I think that's generally trending in the right direction. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Karini Silva against Ketlin Sousa. A Souza. And uh yeah I guess
2: mm-hmm.
1: this is gonna be not a very fun fight to watch
2: no nope. Nope. for you to talk- <laughs> it's there for you to talk about I'm not gonna pick it no up. don't make me yeah i i mean i i who honestly who cares um th- this one you know this one's for you Mick this fight breakdown you're about to hear um I mean I think uh, neither of these women scream like. bad?
1: No, they've both been around for a while, so they've both got the baseline comfort that they need to perform. Yeah. you know, Karini Silva's been in the game since like 2014 or something. Yeah. And Ketlin Souza's been around since 2016, so they're both fighters who, at this point, probably have the game they're going to always have.
2: Yeah.
1: And That game is calm and has some functional pieces to it, but it is not a well-rounded, winning, high-level MMA game.
2: No, Karina Silva tends to sort of bounce around in open space.
1: One strike at a time. One strike
2: at a time, almost every single time. I will say she looks like a pretty solid kicker. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, she seems to like seriously boot people with some real power.
1: That was a absolute dynamite shot she cracked Pollyanna Botello with too. She did yeah. that that great fall into your right hand and hit a takedown on the other end of it. Yeah. You know, it's nice as a single move. She's got good single single strike, single moves
2: she can do. Yeah. But um but extremely one strike at a time, as you yeah. said. And um, just does not have much of any ability to like push a pace as a result yeah. of that. And that's kind of what I get from Ketlin Sosa too. <laughs> like these both just look like fighters who cannot manage. I mean, this is so the most women's flyweight fight.
1: It's it's very much the men's middleweight of divisions. Just
2: so the 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 same exchange over and over kind of fight. Yeah. That I can imagine. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, what to even distinguish? I, I think the big thing for me
1: is like that fall in right hand to a takedown and top control from Ketlin, uh from Karina Silva. Karina, yeah. I think she actually has, a, like, a pretty decent kind of wrestling uh, and grappling game that she can get to. Yeah. You know? She's actually gotten a lot of subs over her career and things like that. And Ketlin Souza is really swing and cling. And that's it. Yeah. it's It's just, here's a big shot. Uh, now I'm going to hold on to you and hope to slow the fight down and that you can't take me out of the fight.
2: Yeah, I mean, she's like... um, She's like... um, Who's the woman who I think just got cut, the Korean fighter? Oh, yeah, Ji Young Kim. Without the combinations. Yep, yep. Like, much more planted than Silva. Um, Sort of methodically marching forward a little more often than Silva. But just as much looking for... One big bomb. Her bombs mm-hmm. tend to come more from like the overhand right, whereas Silva's are more the big right kick. But yep, um, sure, top game.
1: Yeah, I'm just gonna pick if they if they clinch up. Karini Silva's bigger. Ketlin, yeah. Ketlin Souza is probably a, a straw weight.
2: Yeah, she's very with short. another
1: fight or two in the UFC. Um, and. I think that, you know, at some point that'll probably just, it'll be slow paced one shot at a time for both of them. And then at some point either Ketlin Souza will march herself out of range and clinch out of the, uh out of punching range and into the, into the clinch and yeah. potentially get taken down. Or Karini Silva will decide that she's tired of the striking part of the fight and try to take her down and get the take down and,
2: yeah, kind of- I mean, that is the other thing about Souza is that she's she seems way more positionally sacrificial Yeah, as a grappler. Like, uh, I think she is innately a more aggressive fighter, does not come through in volume of output, but she wants to attack. Yeah. And so she will yeah, get into types of people, and whether it's like a head and arm throw or sacrificing position to go for an armbar, I think both of these things may have cost her, uh, even in her title-winning uh, fight. Her title-winning fight in Invicta. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. um, That also does not seem... Silva seems more solid, at least on the ground. Yeah.
1: And she's been very durable throughout her career as well, more so than Souza, who's actually uh, been TKO'd with kicks a couple times.
2: Punches, it says, too. Oh, no, they were body body kick and leg kicks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So... Karina Silva's only ever lost by decision and submission. So if I'm picking that Karina Silva doesn't get knocked out, then I think she's much more likely to be able to win grappling portions of the fight when they occur. And we'll just have a very same exchange over and over kickboxing contest. Yeah. So, yeah,
2: that's it. Uh. What a shame too, because we got uh, isn't her name also Silva Natalia Silla? Silva? Yeah,
1: Natalia Silva.
2: Not like she, there aren't interesting women's flyweight fighters out there. No, who no, are yeah. like Really exciting prospects, but then yeah, you just you have this card, which is clearly a dump. You're just like okay. I mean, so, I don't. Maybe that's not fair. Souza an Invicta title winner. Yeah. She, just, I think that just speaks to the more pervasive weakness of this weight class. That there still is just not a overwhelming amount of talent to go around above straw weight in women's MMA.
1: Yeah, they I mean, flyweight's doing a lot better than women's bantamweight at least.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, that that's like me saying that middleweight is as, bad, is as bad as heavyweight. It's not. Yeah. It's. But it is not as good as featherweight and bantamweight, which. Yeah,
1: well, you, you clearly the the line at welterweight and middleweight is so clear in MMA of like. The levels of talent and the ability for somebody to for somebody like Alex Pereira to just walk out of kickboxing and immediately be champion in the UFC middleweight division.
2: Yeah, exactly. That ain't happening at lightweight.
1: Yeah. Kamara Uzman had to fight through for like six years and go on like a 10 fight unbeaten streak. Yeah. Just to a, get a, a Very
2: day. early one of those wins uh of which was uh was over Sean Strickland, who is an enduring middleweight title contender and main event mainstay. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh Karini Silva opened at minus one seventy one, is currently at minus two nineteen. Ketlin Souza opened at plus one fifty two is currently at plus one ninety three. That's too wide for this fight. Yeah. Like I get that Souza's seems a little sloppy and a little one note, but Marini yeah. Silva does not seem like a fighter I would trust to dominate many people.
2: No, Silva has a veneer of being very technical, but it's it's because she's not like a very decisive... Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Just one and done, move around. And I guess they have Joe Rogan doing the uh, the betting odds, because Joe Rogan looks at that and thinks that she's like a technical marvel because her opponents aren't capable of penetrating the fact that she doesn't stand in one place, <laughs> the Darren Till uh, effect. Yeah, but that should still be enough <laughs> to beat Sosa. <laughs> to be fair, yeah.
1: All right, we'll have to wait about Abubakar uh, Nurmagomedov or Abubakar.
2: No, are we not onto? Uh, is the topology oh, no, battle order different?
1: I'm. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I uh, I got I uh, got onto the I was on the wiki for a yeah. moment.
2: You got okay. excited for a pretty good fight, actually.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jamie Malarkey versus Muhammad or uh, Muhammad John Naimov or Naimov. And uh, you know what? Naimov is, he's all right. He's got a very like basic functional combination, power slugging game. And uh, some really vicious clinched knees. And he doesn't really push up. The the problem for Naimov, I think, is really that no matter how well he's doing, everything he's doing is creating a 50-50 exchange. Yeah. Like, he's a slicker puncher and a slicker striker than a lot of the guys he's faced. But... He got beat by Colin Anglin because he just you know, he would just march in and eat a couple shots to land a couple shots, and the judges rewarded Anglin more. He had that fight with Satik Muduev, and he's clearly the better striker in that in that fight, and it ended up ends up being a split decision because. Muduev can always just walk in with a one two and find Naimov standing right there waiting to counter or trying to put his own flurry together.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He's hard to take down. He, like I say, he's got some vicious clinch strikes. It's just every time he's succeeding, he's giving his opponent success as well. Reminds me a little bit of like Lando Venata in
2: Mm -hmm. that way. Mm
1: hmm. Um, That's not necessarily a recipe for disaster against Jamie Malarkey, who just has sort of put together a very fundamental nuts and bolts. My regional MMA 2.0 game can win in the UFC Mm -hmm. style. Because, you know, it's just like, here are some long strikes. I will throw those and try to keep away from you. And then I will crash the pocket. And if I can out-wrestle you and hit takedowns, then I have a really clear path to victory, and if I can't, then I have to hope that I land the better strikes while I'm just right throwing one-twos and trying to keep away from you. Um, probably the biggest thing that's trouble here for Naimov is that he's taking this fight on very short notice, and he's a natural featherweight.
2: Oh. When was it booked?
1: Uh, It was booked like... Three, two days ago oh right it was supposed to be was supposed yeah. to be the fight was
2: supposed, supposed to be an even more crushing <laughs> like physical mismatch for jamie malarkey yeah far more crushing physical mismatch.
1: and so in those circumstances with malarkey's game as a lightweight naimov coming in on short notice i don't think naimov's game is gonna suffer a lot for the short notice probably But I'm just going to pick Malarkey to be (laughs) – he's he's incredibly tough. And usually for a guy coming in on short notice, especially somebody coming in on short notice with Naimov's game where it's like very blitzing punch exchanges, heavy clinch shots, kind of thing like that, the best chance for them to win a short notice debut is to just shock somebody with crushing power out of the gate. Yeah. And Malarkey being as – tough as he is, I think he'll be able to weather any early storm and just start to take over with size and uh, a game that's otherwise like based on range and just kind of, you know, not
2: falling into anything too stupid. Yeah. I mean, there is a thing where a certain level of um, athlete does get onto malarkey immediately. Mm -hmm. And, I, I, th- I think for all of his toughness, Malarkey has a perhaps a touch of sparring partner syndrome. Yeah, right. Like we saw this against Brad Riddell. Yeah, where he, he was just
1: happy having the same, having exchanges where he was surviving and losing, exactly. and didn't really seem to be thinking about all at all. Like, oh, I he, should change this to something where I'm
2: actually winning the fight. Right. He didn't have that little like uh, managed risk. Switch to flip in his head where he was like, okay, now it's time to take a chance on something. It was, he was in survivor mode and it's yeah. not like he wasn't fighting at all, but it was very clearly the the underlying concept of everything he was doing was you have to survive these exchanges. And yeah. so it, he never, ever managed to eke out any kind of advantage or any initiative in the entire fight. And that was also true in that fight with Francisco Prado where he sort of he looked good actually mm-hmm. did not get cracked early and beaten up and seemed to kind of lose the plot
1: yeah it's true. it was
2: like um he's out there like crushing with his kicks he's landing his left hook um and then he just got the idea that like oh the way to completely beat somebody is to take them down And despite like having an advantage in most of the exchanges, he could not stop going for takedowns that kept getting stuffed. Mm -hmm. Um, He managed to get one. He managed to cinch the fight, but like he almost choked basically is what I saw in that fight. Yeah. Like I
1: said, from my feeling with malarkey is it's a very like regional MMA 2.0 game. Yeah. Of like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm going to hit, you know, hit some long strikes, play it safe. Hit some takedowns, steal some rounds. Yeah. And, you know, it'll all, as long as it all functions, it's a very professional fighter's game, but it's not yeah. really a dynamic, oh, I can actually just like wreck you at a moment's notice kind of game.
2: Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I, I'll go with you. I think I will still pick that over Nymos um the the size difference is one potential thing i also do not look at naimov at all and think that he's a guy who will necessarily suffer for short notice unless he uh is out of shape
1: yeah he he seems to have a game that's just very clearly heavily built around sparring and being yeah a sharp striker in pocket exchanges who is always in the gym like Training with people.
2: Yeah, he really likes it. And yeah. and a, a guy with his that kind of mentality, I think, is going to go in there. And if, if he's forced to find it, he's going to try his best to find it. Yeah. Uh, to find the, the game plan, I mean. Well, I don't know that he ever finds a game plan, but to find the win. <laughs> um, but I I have I have definitely seen him. I mean, there are times when Malarkey can put his foot on the gas and pressure people and blitz them. Mm hmm. That is when I especially do not like what I see from Naimov. He is definitely yeah. one of these fighters who looks way more slick when he has all the initiative or it's completely even. And you're both trading shots. Yeah. When he's pushed back, he really tends to fall apart. He will just skitter like a bug back into the fence, um, completely lose his stance. Um, he's really tied uh, in a lot of fights to that like shell guard, that like crab guard. Yeah. which he doesn't seem to know how to use. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I think it's a thing that looks cool and looks slick. Maybe he likes it because it means he gets a trickier jab, like keeping his lead hand low, yeah. but he doesn't actually get behind his shoulder <laughs> uh, when he is driven back. And so not putting your left hand by your face, going back on a straight line and not hiding your chin behind your shoulder. You should probably just keep your hand up. Yeah. Um, I, I think he probably thinks he's a lot slicker than he is. Or maybe, I, I don't know, whatever the case, he doesn't mind getting hit, but you can lose fights for getting hit. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll take Malarkey. I mean, I think there's also the possibility that he does surprise him with a takedown if he's bigger and stronger in any way. Um, certainly, I was not overall impressed with the wrestling I saw in Naimov's fight with... Um, I think it was maybe the one with... What was the guy's name? Olivier Murad. Mm. Perhaps there were some very awkward wrestling exchanges where I think also hinging on him just getting driven into the fence. If Malarkey, however, does what he did against Prado and just kind of loses focus on how he's winning the fight gets fixated on some idea that that feels like safer and more secure, but is not. Um, keeping his opponent from getting their, getting themselves back in, I definitely think Naimov could surprise him. Yeah. Uh, again, I think I, I, I have clocked Malarkey as a sparring partner syndrome kind of guy. And um, I think he will continue well, to lose fights against a certain level of athlete because of that.
1: I, I think also probably one of the things that's probably becoming a problem for Malarkey is that there's a reality that he's, I mean, He's just not – he's not a great athlete. No, he's and not. He's, he's never going to be a great athlete, and he is in a pool that is constantly filling up with great athletes.
2: Yeah, but that's, but that's why there's so much onus on him to be like the most principled fighter he can possibly be and never yeah. to cede an inch and to try to take every opportunity and always be in good position and always be seeking the initiative in the fight and – When you don't do that, and you're not a great, that's why I say a certain level of athlete is always going to find some random way of punishing him for that tendency.
1: And I mean, it's got to be tough when you're in that position too to realize that and be like, okay, well, how do I get better then? How do I make sure that I'm, you know, and for so it may be partially for me just being like, oh, I got to be a better wrestler. That's going to be my edge.
2: He's not a terrible
1: wrestler. I mean, he's not a terrible wrestler, but yeah. it might, you know, he just might never be physical enough to be a good enough wrestler to make that an edge. Yeah, you know,
2: it's it's a tough ask. I mean, that's, it's a this tough. Is why, this is why being an athlete is cheating.
1: Yep. All right, odds on the fight, Malarkey.
2: Do I have odds on this fight? I mean, it just got made. I think.
1: Oh yeah! Yeah. As you, as you oh say. yeah! Yeah. There we go. I do. I do. Malarkey opened at minus four seventy six. Is currently at minus four thirty five. Naimov opened at plus three sixty two. Is currently at plus three thirty eight. And it's short notice. I get it. I don't think Malarkey deserves to be a huge favorite over most people. Yeah. Um. He's as a not a great athlete. He's always going to be. You know, it's a bit of. He's a bit of in the. Um, uh, Damon Jackson. Position. Yeah. Where you look at Damon Jackson's record and you're like, man, this dude's won a lot of fights, a lot, really dangerous, really good competitive fighter. And then you see him come in and be like a, a minus 400 favorite over somebody. And you're like, what really do you, do you watch these Damon Jackson fights? Because he is always in danger. (laughs) Like, he is treading such a thin line of success that banking on, oh yeah, he's absolutely going to wreck this guy
2: mm-hmm.
1: is not, it's not clever. No. All oh. right. Anyway, on that note, you can find me on Twitter at these ain't You can find Connor on Twitter at boxing Bush. And if you're a subscriber to our Substack and you absolutely should be, you can find us right back here in just a second for a little bit of bonus content.
0: To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, MusicBee, RSS Radio, IMDb, and now, also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, The Podcast App, EyeCatcher, PodCruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the 6th Round Post Fight Show, Crookland's Corner, the 6th Round Retro, The Show Money Podcast. The MMA Depressed Us. Exclusive fighter interviews. And the return of the MMA Bunker.